Good morning. It is quite early on a Saturday morning. Not as early as it could be. I, I'm a very early riser normally, and recent months have been no exception. And uh, I'll be covering that more later. But yeah, it's early, but not as early as it could be. It's about quarter to eight, which is practically a lion for me. Uh, it's a Saturday morning. And I'm sitting in the kitchen at Big Punch Towers with my coffee in hand. That's another sip there. And uh, yeah, I'm staring out. I've got a lovely bank behind the house. It gets a bit dark sometimes in the mornings, but yeah. Surprising amount of woodland there for what is essentially the middle of Cheltenham. But yeah. The sun is shining. I can see what's probably cherry blossom. That's got to be nice. I can also see a canoe. Because Nick has a canoe. For reasons. Uh, which is sitting in the back garden. And a monstrous pile of recycling. Which we'll need dealing with at some point. And it's very peaceful. And it's very quiet. And I've decided to fill this peace and quiet with the sound of my own meandering voice. Um, the reason for me doing this, which might seem a little bit indulgent, is that while I do love the sound of my own voice, as anyone who's ever spoken to me for any great length of time will attest, uh, I'm not massively comfortable talking about myself or I guess about things I care about. I always have this kind of gut reaction where uh, maybe people aren't as interested as I I am. So I always kind of err on the side of trying to keep my mouth shut. Uh, you might find that the longer, if you've known me longer, if I'm more comfortable around you, that's when I start going off on my little, I don't know, Anecdotes? Uh, diversions? Not really diatribes, I'm not really... No, I'm not, I am an angry person, but, you know, I don't find many things to rant about. Actually, if you do find me ranting about something, that's a sign that I do know you well. And I do trust you enough to, to open up in that aspect. But, uh, yeah, I, that's probably like a good scale, actually. If we've just met, and maybe like I'm all business, I'm maybe asking about you, you know, I'm trying to be polite. Uh, if I've known you a good one, you'll probably find me going off on a big, ridiculous tangent about comics or some weird, esoteric aspect I find fascinating at that moment. But yeah, if I've known you a really long time, maybe I'll have a rant about something. So yeah, you can see where you sit on the John, <laughs> uh, the John waffling scale. Uh, but yeah, case in point, I've completely forgotten where I was going with this. Anyway, I've not been very well lately. And... Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I've tried to be very open about it, which is something which I've never been especially good at. As previously mentioned, I've always tended to try and hide my problems, maybe with limited success. And I guess recent events have caused me to try and reevaluate why I act that way and why I feel the need to 
hide bits of myself. And um, yeah, and so while I'm currently on this medication and I'm hopefully healing up my body, I, it also seemed like a fine opportunity to try and address, I don't know, my mind? Try and speak my mind a bit more, try and be honest with the people I care about. Uh, because, yeah, they all knew something was wrong, but I was, I thought I was hiding it and maybe perhaps unsuccessfully and probably just coming across as a bit of a weirdo. But, um, yeah, this is all part of a new, a new approach to life. I'm not saying it'll be massively successful. I, I think there are very few wands you can wave to suddenly, you know, Patronum. Is that a Harry Potter thing to suddenly, I don't know, expect your Patronum or your problems away? Make a giant stag out of light appear? That was a thing. It's been a while. But I am trying to learn uh, to talk a bit more. Uh, which is kind of ironic because I talk incessantly, but maybe without meaning a lot. I don't know. Look, this is a case in point. I'm rambling. Look, this is my attempt to communicate a bit more. And this is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, described me as uh, a conversation list. I think, I think that's what he said. Anyway, it was, it sounded very flattering. Uh, and yeah, the truth is I love, I love, talking to people. I do. I like it's something I I love in my writing as well. Like I love plots. I, I I'm very kind of when I'm building a story, I, I kind of approach it like I don't know, like Lego bricks. Like everything clicks together, everything has a place and everything has foundations. Like I I I, I put a lot of like maybe like academic kind of work into making a story as structurally kind of airtight, watertight as, as possible. But the real kind of magic comes out when characters are interacting. I mean, I like an internal monologue as much as the next person, and certainly it's something I've done uh, quite a bit. I mean, uh, even in Orb, I mean, arguably Orb is nothing but people talking to themselves. It's very, very <laughs> indulgent. But people are, characters are going to start meeting in year two, and then we can finally have some conversations, because that's where, that's where things get interesting. But yeah, but something like Afterlife, I think, um, massive ensemble cast. I love, I love it when people are just talking. Oh, it's just so rewarding. Just you, 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 the directions you can go in, you can surprise yourself, uh, and, and reveal little bits about yourself. So yeah, I just love conversations. I love, I love kind of talking and, and, and learning things about people. And, this is maybe what I would like to achieve. No, no, decisive. This is what I would like to achieve with this podcast. I love talking to people. I love coffee. The idea of this podcast is that I will sit down with people and we will share a hot drink and we will talk about things. And maybe it will be comics related. Maybe it will just be friends, but maybe it will be people I don't know. Maybe it's people I would like to become my friends, but I just would love to talk to people and yeah, just see where the conversation goes. I am maybe I'm kicking things off in an interesting fashion, therefore by only talking to myself or talking to you, if indeed anyone is actually listening. 
so yeah, I thought I'd start by maybe just trying to explain my frame of mind. I've waffled a bit already. I've talked a little bit about maybe what's going through my head. But yeah, I thought I'd try and go into more detail because by forcing myself to be a little little more honest, little 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 more honest. Stumbling over my words, victory sip. Mm. By maybe forcing myself to be a bit more honest, I can then I don't know, learn to be a bit more honest with the people I'm talking to. And yeah, could talk about anything and everything. But today, in this very special, personal, inaugural episode of Morning Coffee, which is the name of the podcast, I'm going to talk about my Crohn's disease, which is a disease which apparently I have. So yeah, uh, safely into anecdotal territory now, but for the last couple of years, I have been suffering from what could probably best be described as infrequent but serious bouts of abdominal pain. I think uh, the first major one I can remember was around, oh, I don't know, September 2000. Maybe it's going on longer than I think. I don't know, September 2013 or 14, I'm not sure. But I was working, I was still working in my previous job as a science technician in a school. And it was a Saturday morning. And we would have to work Saturdays. That was a, you know, that's just part of the job. And I'd gotten up. Everything was perfectly normal. Um, well, no, it wasn't normal. No, no, I woke up and I was in a bit of discomfort. I had a kind of uh, stabbing, just a, like an ache, a deep ache in like my lower right abdomen. Uh, I've not been punched in the stomach many times in my life, but it did. It kind of felt like that, or maybe like I'd, I'd been kicked in the balls really, really hard. It was like a kind of, like a nausea, a kind of, and it kind of spread, you know, it was moving up and out, emanating from that area. And uh, I, I found myself kind of, I think I doing the kind of like banana-esque curl where my whole body would kind of just form this crescent shape as I'd bend slowly forward. And yeah, I wasn't feeling great, but I assumed maybe it was like trapped wind or something. You know, maybe I just slept funny. That kind of slept funny. It's such a. You always use that to kind of excuse away all manner of ailments. Uh, you know, it seemed to do a lot of damage to myself while sleeping. Uh, but yeah, kind of. I, I said to myself, "Oh, maybe it's just trapped wind." I'd eaten something funny. I don't know. Had a shower. Pain continued. Arguably, it started to get worse. And. Uh, I, yeah, and then I think by the time, I think I forced some food into me, even though I didn't massively feel like eating, which is quite rare for me because I do love food. And, um, yeah, and then I think, I think Lucy woke up around that point because I was trying to brush my teeth, but I was, I was almost bent double. I couldn't stand. And I was just feeling worse and worse and worse. And this pain would not go away. It's very easy. Uh, I find, I'm very good at kind of like dissociating myself from bad memories. So like talking about it now, kind of like being completely detached from it, kind of completely 
this remote, emotionless way of talking about it, you think, oh, yeah, like I was in pain, end of. But thinking back, trying to remember what it was like at the time, and yeah, it was bad. It, it wasn't, you know, it felt wrong. It was a, it was, a, it was not a nice, not a good feeling at all. And Lucy very kindly went in to do my or shift my my work, which was very nice of her because I was. We both worked at the same place. It wasn't like she was just randomly walking in. Uh, but she very kindly went in to do my shift. And I uh, I, 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 just lay in bed, which, she, which you'd think would be pleasant, but it wasn't because the pain just wouldn't go. But eventually it did. Eventually it did. I mean, it's, it's hard to say when. My memory's a little fuzzy, but yeah, it just went. And weirdly, you didn't kind of, I just kind of like, eh, I can't remember what I thought. I just kind of left it as it was, I suppose. And I don't think anything bad happened for a good while. I, you know, you kind of long enough to forget what it was like, but it started happening again. I, I can't remember the, I can't remember the next time it happened amazingly, but I know that certainly for the next year or so, I would keep getting these attacks, as I came to call them. Um, and uh, they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. I would, uh, they'd hit seemingly without warning. Uh, quite often I'd, um, I'd wake up in the middle of night, in the middle of the night with the pain. The pain would physically kick me out of sleeping. I would just be like an, like a digital clock, just suddenly boom, I'm awake and I'm in agony. Okay, like, Agony, absolute agony, and it would always become centered in the lower right side of my abdomen. And I would, uh, I'd get up, I'd pace, I'd lie on the floor, I'd lie on my back, I'd lie on my front, I'd sit, I'd drink water, I'd take painkillers, I'd do anything to try and make sense of this. And I think more often than not, Lucy would wake up, find me gone. Of course, I could have woken her. I didn't want to wake her, you know. I was like, oh god, like I'm suffering. Why she she should try and get some sleep. And. Uh, and yeah, this would just, uh, you know, I think more than often, more often than not, she would come downstairs in the middle of the night and find me, uh, I don't know, sitting on the sofa, desperately watching something on YouTube just to try and get my mind off things. Actually, I think at the time we had a load of Mythbusters taped on uh, our Virgin TV box. And um, I know Lucy would often say if she was suffering from insomnia, she'd uh, she'd listen to a little bit of um, Jamie Heineman explaining something and it was something about his walrus-esque delivery and growl which would always send her to sleep um but yeah it wasn't good it wasn't good and I, i'd be kind of sweating and crying and and, and just in a, in a really bad way because this this pain was terrible and there just seemed to be no release um but uh, eventually it would pass and um eventually it always passed and i don't know sometimes it took 12 hours sometimes i'd eventually be able to fall asleep again and oh a cat just ran by the patio doors that's nice sometimes I'd eventually be able to fall asleep and maybe I'd wake up and it would be gone or rather the severity of it would be gone I would no longer be in this kind of crippling agony but I would um, I'd feel sore and often I often described it as feeling like I'd been beaten up like every every muscle in my body was kind of tensed and aggravated and uh, and it would take me a few good few days to feel right again 
And then eventually it would pass and I'd go back to normal life. But I started to get very scared because this was happening maybe every t- t- two months, every eight weeks, uh, uh, maybe even every six weeks. It was getting, it was kind of like accelerating. And I had, I, I start to kind of almost, you know, dread their arrival. I kind of, I could kind of anticipate them. And um, yeah, it was, it was rather scary. I know we had a really bad time of it at, I had a really bad time of it at May London MCM, which is one of the many conventions we go to and arguably the biggest convention in uh, in the country and uh, for comics. And uh, I think it was May 2015, I could be mistaken. Yeah, anyway, we had uh, our biggest, it was the biggest show we'd ever done. It was a three-dayer. Hmm. A full three-dayer. I'm just going to get a coffee refill. I'm unscrewing my thermos. Yeah, it was the first time we'd done a full three days. First time MCM itself had been a full three days. They'd uh, normally done like two and a half days or something. So we'd booked time off work. We did a full three days. And we had, to date, our best ever show. We're very fortunate. We've always done quite well at MCM. I think it's because our books are quite kind of... Uh, colourful. Maybe I think we maybe um, have kind of appeal across the genres. Maybe we might draw in some, I don't know, manga fangs or anything. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds like we targeted it, but it isn't. We just we just made the books we we thought would we wanted. Well, we just made the books we wanted to, and incredibly, people seem to like them. Anyway, tangent. Great show, absolutely amazing. But Sunday, it wasn't feeling so good. Around around. I know it's around kind of middle of the day. I started to get this kind of ache again, and I was like, "Oh, I know where this. I know where this is going. I've been here before. And I've been here before. I'd rather this not develop." Uh, so I took painkillers, and I sat or tried. You know, sometimes when you're talking to someone across a table, it's better to stand up so you can engage with them more. And we were having a great show. Like you know, we wanted to be engaging with people. But again, I just could not get any relief. I, I, you know, and when this thing is coming on, like my body starts, I start curling up into the fetal position, it becomes quite, I don't know, like defensive. Uh, but it still just wouldn't go away. This pain, it was building and building and building. And we ended that show, our best show ever, with us pushing all our kit down to the car and me, uh, me pushing a trolley and needing that trolley almost like a kind of uh, like a zimmer frame to kind of keep me up because I was in so much pain and by this point I'm crying you know by this point like tears are streaming down my face and um, I haven't I mean you know crying out loud I have no idea what it looked like to people I must have just looked incredibly emotional at the joys of being at Comic-Con it is a uh, giddy roller coaster of emotion anyway but um, I remember a poor uh, Lewis Terry, who we've been talking to all weekend, and um, him coming up to say goodbye, and kind of like the smile kind of draining from his face as he he saw me in this kind of like state, you know, and me just kind of saying like, you know, Lewis, I'm not I'm not feeling very well, and he's like, oh, cool, 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 and then kind of realizing that like, oh no, you're not, are you? You're actually, yeah, you're not very well at all. And um, I remember he very kindly, you know, wished me the best, patted me on the shoulder, because of course, what you know, what can you do at that point? Everyone's just gotta. The best thing I could do was to try and get out and get get to kind of like safety safety I don't know if you've ever been to the Excel Center it's like it's a world apart 
it's 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 both wonderful and terrifying because you are you're miles from feels like you're miles from civilization in this bizarre Docklands. You've got kind of roaming bands of Naruto cosplayers out and about, kind of kind of scouring the Docklands for sugar or kind of like illicit booze, and it's just it's insane. And I'm in I'm in a lot of pain at the moment. I'm really bad, and I can't drive. And Lucy very kindly takes over driving, and I know she doesn't. She doesn't enjoy kind of driving. Doesn't enjoy driving at the best of times, but kind of like certainly doesn't enjoy having to drive through the middle of London at uh, kind of rush hour on a Sunday. We were very kindly. We we figured, what do we do? We either try and fight our way. We either try and we do the long slog home. We try and go all the way. It's like a three three hour drive if you you know if the roads are clear, maybe three and a half. We've got to get around the M25, which is still quicker than going through the centre of London, back at the M4. Yeah, got to get back to Cheltenham. It's a long drive. And I'm, you know, I'm in agony at this point. I'm really suffering. I, and being in a car, I mean, it's uncomfortable. I, I God, I just, it's one of the, you know, it's, it's really bad, guys. I'm, I'm, it's just horrible. But we decided instead to, uh, you know, any, any port in a storm, we're going to, we're going to power through the centre of London. And we are going to try and reach my dad's flat because my flat, my dad, <laughs> my dad lives on the other side of London midweek. And uh, we were like, well, let's try and get there. Then we, we can we can crash there, and we can drive the rest of the way back in the morning. And uh, that was hellish. That was a terrible, terrible drive. And uh, just because of the traffic, I mean, gee, uh, geez, Louise, like London, we'd kind of done it at like I don't know six in the morning. It was absolutely fine, kind of crossing London. Brilliant. I mean, it still takes like an hour to do 14 miles, which is insane. But yeah, this was like at least two hours, just crawling, fighting our way through the traffic. And ugh, anyway, it was horrible. I was, I was I was in a terrible state the whole way. We get back to the we get back to the flat. I'm at this point. I've gone from being like a, my body has gone from being like a banana esque curve to being a kind of was it a set square, like a, a 90 degree angle, a right angle. Vernia caliper? No, that's, I'm trying to remember my school level designing technology. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just bent double at this point, and I, I basically just pop as many painkillers as I can take without overdosing and collapse into bed. And I must have drifted off for a couple of hours eventually, because I woke up and it was still day. It was still technically that day. There was a bit of evening left, and uh, I was no longer in, in, in agony, but uh, I felt very sore again. I'm kind of limping along. I feel like I've been punched in the stomach good and hard. And um, yeah, we, but I felt better. I felt better. I mean, like anything felt better at that point, which was a massive improvement. But that was incredibly scary. And and, um, certainly it's given me cause to doubt myself, to doubt my kind of uh, ability to cope at big events like that. Because going to conventions is our bread and butter. I've always said, like going conventions you know, are amazing because we, we meet fans, we make new fans, we uh, we sell books. And the more books we sell, the more books we can make. You know, all that money just goes straight back into funding the production of of these books, which we, we care about so much. So they're kind of essential. But when you get like a moment like that, you end up thinking, oh, heck, am I, am I cut out for this? You know, if, if I can't trust my own body to, you know, reliably get me through a, a, a two-day event. I mean, I'm young, I'm healthy, I should be able to relatively young I'm <laughs> relatively healthy I should be able to cope with this but yeah like this was 
that was a really bad event. And I think around this time I started uh, trying to get some, trying to get this seen to. I'd uh, been to see a, a couple of GPs, and I don't want to speak ill. I don't want to speak ill of GPs, but I had some very mixed results. I had people kind of saying, essentially, something to the effect of, "Well, it's probably all in your mind," or you know, if you're if you're having if you have good days and you have bad days, then that means it's not bad all the time. Therefore, that means it can be good again, which I guess is a very Zen way of looking at things, but didn't really help me. Um, eventually, I saw a doctor who did prescribe me uh, amitriptyline, which is a mild antidepressant, which they actually use to treat uh, muscle pain because, of course, it's it's a relaxant. It uh, would work on a muscle. In fact, I know a couple of people who have taken it for, say, back pain. So I was taking that, and you know, for a while it felt good. I guess, but I guess this is the this is why you can't trust your brain sometimes, because I imagine a big part of that was the placebo effect. And also, given that, I would go for two months, maybe feel fine, and then have a terrible attack. Uh, you know, I probably just, I was taking it in a good period. And then, of course, I got a big, you know, I had this massive attack at uh, London MCM, and, you know, clearly didn't stop me, clearly didn't stop that happening to me. And, um, and yeah, so that wasn't good. But anyway, I went back to the doctor and I kept persisting. And eventually I got referred to see a specialist at the local hospital. We just moved house at this point. We just moved into Big Punch Towers. And uh, uh, I remember thinking, oh, this is good. Like, this is quite, finally, I'm going to get some progress. And I went and had a, a meeting. I was very excited. I went and had a meeting with this um, gastro uh, gastroenterology, gastroenterological expert at the hospital, and I was I was so kind of happy. I was like, yes, finally, I'm going to see an expert, and I'm going to tell him all my woes. And uh, I, I must have seen him for three, four minutes. I was expecting to kind of like sit down and, and just tell him everything, like give him a full kind of case history. But he just looked at me, said, "Yeah, we'll get you booked in for a colonoscopy," and off you go. And I was like, uh, okay. And I went out. Ironically, that very same afternoon, I came down with uh, uh, what turned out to be food poisoning, which I think is unrelated, but I uh, I wasn't feeling very well. I was getting, I was getting some shakes. And uh, I, <laughs> by the time I got home, I was, uh, I was shaking like no one's business. And, uh, oh, computer's doing something. Hang on, just ignore that. Yeah, by the time I got home, I was shaking like no one's business. I felt cold. I, I Oh, God, it was horrible. Cold, sweating buckets. And they thought I had, when I eventually I saw a doctor a couple of days later, they thought I had gastric flu, which is basically just like the flu bug, but it gets into your stomach. You know, it gets into your, not your stomach, your uh, your gut, your, your intestines. Uh, they eventually found out it wasn't that. It was actually a... Um, Oh, good grief! Was it? It was a. It was food poisoning. I can't even remember which uh, bacteria it was, but yeah, there was a great big. There was a great big nasty bacterial colony in my gut, which wasn't great. Best way to find out is a week later when you're back at work and the doctor calls you and says, um, leaves a message and says, "Yeah, you should really call me back, kind of, as soon as possible," which is always worrying because the doctors never want you to call them back. So I go and I call them back, and they're like, "Yeah, um, turns out you've got." food poisoning. How are you feeling? And I'm like, uh, I feel good. I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, 
if you weren't feeling good, we probably would have prescribed some antibiotics at this point. Uh, and a fun fact as well is that when you get food poisoning, or at least in Cheltenham, you get a letter from uh, the council because the council, as it turns out, has a food poisoning monitor guy on their payroll. And he uh, obviously been informed by the doctor's surgery and he said, hey, uh, so it turns out you have food poisoning. That's kind of sucky. Um, we take these outbreaks very seriously. Uh, is it an outbreak if it's one person? Probably not. Been playing too much pandemic and... Um, and he was like, yeah, uh, so we'd like you to kind of list everywhere you've eaten in the last two weeks. As it happens, we had eaten out a bit those last two weeks because a couple of friends had been in town and off for whatever reason. But I think the likeliest cause was simply we didn't have a working kitchen yet in the house and we'd been eating a lot of microwave meals. I reckon I just got a maybe a slightly dodgy pasta pot or something out of uh, from Tesco's. So shame on you, Tesco's. Mm. Anyway, that's irrelevant. But yeah, I had a f- I had food poisoning. So yeah, I eventually uh, had the old uh, colonoscopy, which uh, I won't go into too much detail if you're listening to this over breakfast, but it isn't pleasant. And you have to take a uh, rather barbaric cocktail of uh, drugs for two days beforehand and limit your diet in a very specific way. And uh, yeah, the uh, the effect of the drugs is uh, substantial, shall we say? And uh, you are you do a remarkable impression of a roll of uh, toothpaste being slowly uh, emptied. Uh, I guess followed cl- rather closely by some kind of water bomb. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. And the procedure itself is not great. I mean, you've got like two meters of garden hose inside you, um, and that was very painful. That was very painful. I uh, I opted not to have uh, sedation because I wanted to not be knocked out for a day afterwards. Although that was probably a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, it was uncomfortable. It was very painful. They're also using me as a test dummy uh, to uh, uh, train a train a, a new doctor, and uh, so he may have, he may not have been as gentle as I would have liked. And uh, but yeah. Probably, uh, I never, I never imagined I would hear the sentence. Now you may feel a slight pressure on the lower side of your rib cage um, as something moves around inside you. Uh, but yeah, and I also weirdly, uh, I actually experienced like, quite a massive cramp at this point. I, very similar to the pain I was experiencing, and uh, kind of I, you know, really very painful, kind of spasming. And um, they quickly injected me with like a pint of. Buscapan, which is a muscle relaxant, which you can buy normally in tablet form off a shelf, which seemed to help. But yeah, I limped out. I got kind of pat on the back and they were like, yep, yep, all clean, clean bill of health. And off I went. And then kind of nothing happened, which is really where uh, the ball was dropped at this point, because I kept waiting to hear back. I kept waiting to get some kind of like I don't know, written confirmation, or I kept waiting to get, oh, I don't know, even just a follow-up appointment with the specialist because he commissioned a test. And then you you kind of assume you, you'd meet up afterwards to discuss the results of the test and to, uh, you know, say, where do we go from here? You know, how do we treat your pain? How do we stop this happening again? And um, nothing. And I think I had a couple of wobbles. I had a couple of attacks, but they weren't too bad. 
around this time. But then we, you know, we fast forward to January this year, just after Christmas. And I've been pretty healthy for a while. I've been feeling pretty good. And uh, I mean, we'd even run a, we'd run our kickstart for Sandwich Masters, which is normally, I mean, every time we run a kickstart, it's a tremendously stressful time for me. And I always get quite ill. Oh, no, wait, no, the food poisoning hit when we were doing the Kickstarter. Yeah, that's fitting. Yeah, I always fall ill when we do a Kickstarter. It's uncanny. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was feeling pretty good. And uh, we uh, we spent, it was a Saturday. It was a normal Saturday. And I was feeling a bit tired, perhaps. But, you know, I didn't really didn't really think anything was out of the ordinary. And uh, I we went into town, the four of us. So, you know, it was me, Lucy, Nick and Ali, the whole Big Punch crew. Actually, Hannah was there as well, Lucy's sister. And yeah, we just we just wandered into town. It's a short walk from Big Punch Towers, and uh, just did our thing. We, um, I, uh, I was really keen to do a Magic draft, Magic the Gathering, the card game. Never done a draft before. I'm only a casual player, but I thought this would be fun. This would be a good something we could all do together. So we went to town. I grabbed a few booster packs, and we came back. And weirdly, I noticed around this time, I started limping, and then I started. Get, I got this terrible pain shooting up and down my right leg and it's the kind of pain that makes you laugh you know if you're a masochist but it's like sometimes if you get punched as a kid if you got punched in the arm or something or you got punched in the thigh it's like it hurts obviously but there's almost a kind of like hysterical edge to it you kind of uh you kind of you know you're laughing and and it was very funny because I felt like an old man I was I was limping I was kind of like uh you know I couldn't walk I was leaning on Lucy and I'm thinking this is ridiculous, like, but laughing at the same time. And when we got back to uh, the towers, we, uh, the five of us, we all sat down and we started. Uh, I'd had a haircut as well, because so I was looking very fine, as I often do. And uh, we sat down and we built a conveyor belt. And we started packaging up the expansion packs for Sandwich Maskers, the card game, because we had to fulfill our you know, all our Kickstarter backers. And uh, so, yeah, we were, you know, I was working on my laptop. I was um, I was sitting at this table in the kitchen, actually, and I was uh, I was making a spreadsheet because I am the spreadsheet king. And I was uh, exporting all our backer data, you know, processing it, working out who, you know, who wanted what, what, all this, doing all the data management. And everyone else was, you know, very kindly packaging up the expansion packs, which was one of the uh, bonus um, uh, the, uh, stretch goals. And uh, yeah, and Ali filmed it actually. But in fact, it's, it's on our YouTube channel, and we put it on the Kickstarter page. But she did a, an amazing time lapse of that weekend of all the work we were doing. And um, I was feeling a bit, you know, I still had some twinges in my back and my leg. But I was sitting, I was feeling okay. And then in the evening, we all went along to a, a little gathering in town, which um, Sam Beddoes, who uh, is uh, the mastermind behind Freak Zone Games and is a very successful app developer, had put on. And uh, he runs it every now and then. And uh, yeah, a load of geeky people. I'm proud I can use that word. A uh, load of geeky people just meet up and uh, in a cafe in town. And we eat, we drink, we play games. And we went and we did the magic draft. And uh, I noticed I was getting a bit uncomfortable because my throughout the evening, because my leg was giving me twinges, my back was giving me twinges. And uh, I uh, suddenly, I just suddenly, you know, towards the end of the evening, things just turned sour. And I got this pain and I knew exactly what it was you know I've been here before and I'm thinking oh heck how do I 
how do I try, how do I beat this? I don't want this to become a problem. So we say our goodbyes. I'm kind of bent double, and I go home, and uh, I take a load of painkillers. I take a load of well, no, not a load. I take all the painkillers I can. I take some buscapan, you know, anti cramping. I go and lie down in bed. I start reading. Uh, I wasn't on the amitriptyline at the moment. I'd given up on that because it wasn't helping. And uh, and yeah, and uh, I thought I'd beaten it. The pain kind of faded. I thought, ah, oh, I feel good. I've done it. I've uh, I was preemptive. I kind of stopped this becoming a problem. And uh, yeah, and I I went to sleep. And I thought I was safe. I thought I was free. Hang on a second. The computer's just doing something. Hang on a second. Uh, I hate you, computer. Why are you doing this? Maybe let go away. There we go. Okay. Apologies. Yeah, I thought I'd be in this. And I went and I fell asleep. But as is so often the way with these terrible attacks, I um, I woke up in agony. I think it was... A couple of hours later, I'd maybe only gotten a couple of hours sleep, and this was a bad one. Like, this was really bad. And um, I got up, I paced, I uh, I sat, I did every kind of bizarre pose you could imagine. Now, we have a great big square blue bean bag in the lounge, which I've had for years, and I was kind of <laughs> lying over that. Uh, again, curled into a kind of uh, fetal position, just trying to um, trying to get some relief. And I'm crying at this point. You know, it's just tears streaming down my face. I'm, I'm sweating buckets. I'm red. I'm 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 flustered. I'm I'm distraught. It's just it's 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 really bad. It's one of the worst ones I've ever had. And Lucy's up. She's you know she's looking after me. She she tries massaging my back because in addition to the abdominal pain, my old friend. My leg is killing me. My back is actually surprisingly sore. I, I like there's a lot of back pain as well. And I think in the end, I you know, I tell you know, I say look, you know, you might as well go back to bed. I'm a ple- like you know, I don't I don't want to ruin your night as well. I try and get some sleep. And I think uh, I was up most of the night. I tried going back to bed at one point, but the pain was too much. I had to get up. I uh, I ended the night lying face down on the hard kitchen floor uh, with my iPad, weirdly looking up the shining uh, fan theories. Like, of all things. Like, I've only seen the shining, like, once in my life, but I love... I got into... Somehow I got into conspiracy theories. Don't ask me why. It was, like, the weird places your your mind goes in the the dark hours between, like, 4 and 5 a.m. and... uh, yeah, I was just, just browsing Wikipedia articles, just kind of like sank into a, a wiki loop. I was reading all about the uh, bizarre and branching theories that people have about how we didn't land on the moon, and it's just fascinating. Anyway, yeah, so that wasn't good. I was kind of debilitated. I couldn't really walk. And uh, when Lucy got up, you know, Lucy, bless her, she only got a couple of hours sleep as well. But when when Lucy got up, we she was like, you're in a bad way. Um, my chair is creaking. Apologies. She's like, you're in a bad way. Uh, we need to get you to A&E. So we go to A&E and Lucy drives and, you know, I limp into A&E. I look like the walking dead. Uh, I'm not quite in as ba- in as much pain as before. As in, you know, I, I, I'm not 
crying in agony. But I'm not in an especially good way. I am shuffling. Walking is painful. God knows what I look like. And uh, they send me into the out-of-hours GP because they're like, well, look, you're not bleeding. Your arm isn't hanging off. Let's get someone to see you. And I see a triage nurse and a triage doctor. And and they were amazing. You know, I, I can't I can't stress that enough because they were like, you know, good grief, what's wrong with you? Like, you are in a bad way. And they kind of, you know, drag me, pour me onto a table. Not a table, you know, one of those examining benches. And they, they try pod, prodding and poking me. And even just to brush, like, someone's fingers against my abdomen is just... It's agony. Like, I'm... I'm in a really bad way. And, you know, like, I I just, my mental defense, like, everything about it, I just, I was running at about 10%. I just felt awful. And uh, they diagnosed, uh, they, 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 I think they were quite frustrated that they couldn't do more for me. Because they're like, look, all we can do is patch you up and get you, get you back on your feet. And they said, are you getting seen about this? Because this is a recurring problem, obviously. And I said, yeah, like, I'm, I was seeing the specialist a few months ago and I've not heard anything back. And they were, they were like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like, you have to chase that up. You have to, you have to see what's happened. And uh, so they, they prescribed me some very powerful painkillers. I can't even remember the names of them now, but like one's a, I think one's like an opiate and the other was like a, the other worked on your nerves. It was like a, for reducing nervous pain. But yeah, they um, took me home. We got the drugs. And, uh, yeah, propped me up in a chair in the corner. And we spent that Sunday packaging up uh, more sandwich maskers. We had a conveyor belt going, and uh, that's on the time-lapse video as well. I'll have to put a link in the description or something. Because you can see me in the corner wearing uh, my PJs and looking very kind of fetal and curled up. And it was bad. Like, uh I, I, I just literally just propped me up in the corner because I can't do anything. I tried um, a few times. I tried getting up and walking, and I just collapsed because it wasn't just the the back and abdomen pain. It was my whole right leg. It was it was just agony. I, yeah, I literally just fell to the floor. And um, but the amazing thing about those drugs is not that they made the pain go away. It was simply that you stopped caring. Um, they were kind of bizarre, actually. Like, um, you just got an amazing sense of detachment. They certainly took the edge off, but they didn't, you know, didn't make me feel better. Oh, they didn't cure me. So yeah, I started chasing up, uh, chasing up the hospital, seeing what was going on there. Ah, long story short, I think they really dropped the ball. I spoke to a very, very unhelpful lady who I would speak to many times over the coming weeks because she was the gatekeeper to this specialist and uh, she um, probably said more than she should have I think if you're going to cover your ass from a legal perspective but I think she basically inferred that they dropped the ball that I'd been discharged and I'd not been notified that I'd been discharged I'd not been I was never informed that I was no longer under the care of this gentleman I was never given the results of my tests. I, I don't understand why they would send me away when I quite clearly wasn't cured. I mean, I saw this guy. It'd taken me six months to get a referral to this guy. I just, oh, very angry. So yeah, I'm, I've, I've been complaining. I'm going through official channels. But you think like if, if they hadn't just forgotten about me, maybe this could have been solved or rather my problems could have been identified a long time ago. Anyway, I, 
you know, anyway, I decided enough was enough. And I, I through my work, I have, because I work as an editor, through my work, I have a degree of healthcare cover. And we decided to take advantage of this and actually get me seen kind of privately because I've been so let down in my previous experiences. And uh, I think what happened, I, I don't know, I've, I've, I've written this all down as a timeline somewhere, but I know at some point I, because I was missing a lot of work at this point, I was, because unlike all my previous attacks, where I'd feel bad for a couple of days and then get better, this time something had gone very wrong. Like I, the pain just didn't go away. I was an invalid. Like I, I wasn't in agony all the time, but it felt like I'd done real kind of damage to, to myself kind of inside. Like I, uh, a lot of kind of, you know, ongoing pain, a lot of kind of, uh, uh, you know, I was limping a lot. My leg wasn't working properly. I had a lot of back pain. And um, I stopped taking the epic painkillers because frankly, like I would have been, you know, you take one of those and you're, you're gone for the day. Like that's really not going to do you any good. Um, but anyway, yeah, I had an appointment booked to see uh, another specialist through my works healthcare. And uh, I know around this time, I had another bad incident where the pain was continuing. Uh, rather weirdly, the pain was, I had a lot of um, testicular pain as well. So you can imagine, God, good grief, like you say it out loud and I, I just, I was like a walking wounded. But yeah, I had a lot of pain. I went to the doctor again, they was called NHS Direct, they referred, they said, look, you better go to, you better go to A&E. Saw a different doctor who um, actually had a completely different diagnosis. He was quite a good guy, actually. He reckoned maybe I had a a bad disc in my back because I had a lot of back pain around this time. And he said, well, maybe it's not your abdomen which is causing your back pain. Maybe it's your back, which is causing all your other pain. He said, maybe you've got an inflamed disc in your back. And he uh, he prescribed me some anti-inflammatories and I got some relief. This is the crazy thing. Like with those anti-inflammatories, I actually started to feel a little better. So I thought, oh, maybe he's onto something. Maybe I don't have like a gut problem. Maybe I have a back problem. Anyway, eventually I saw this new specialist. She's amazing. Can't sing her praises enough. And the beauty of having healthcare, I guess. I mean, I, I you know, I love the NHS. I, I would fight for the NHS. And I, I, I don't know, it felt like a, a kind of option of last resort going to kind of going private and taking advantage of the cover I had, but just, I had a bad experience. But, you know, this is clearly the difference that having unlimited funds make because in the space of seeing her in the morning, she could see that I was clearly in a bad way. You know, she could barely touch my abdomen. I was limping. And uh, that day I had a CAT scan. I had uh, urine tests. I had blood tests. And they sent me on my way. They called me a couple of days later. Uh, at this point, I think I was doing some work from home. Uh, my workplace was being incredibly understanding. Uh, saw, uh, uh, yeah, and then they called me, which is always weird. It's always weird when you, uh, you kind of get used to not hearing anything from doctors. But, uh, I, uh, they called me and they were like, uh, yeah, so, hi, uh, Mr. Locke, are you okay to come in and pick up your, uh, your drugs for your colonoscopy on Friday? And I was like, uh, what? And uh, the lady on the phone was like, uh, oh, um, give me a second, I'll call you back. And she hangs up. And so there's a slight miscommunication where it turns out they wanted me in for colonoscopy kind of like urgently. And also, they wanted me on antibiotics and steroids, kind of urgently. 
It's never good to hear the word urgently from a doctor. But we kind of dropped everything and went over to the hospital and picked up all the drugs. And it was kind of like horse before the car. Like, they meant really well. They just, like, someone had dropped the ball and not kind of called me or informed me of the right thing. But anyway, like the letter arrived like a day later. But yeah, they're like, look, we can get you in for a colonoscopy in two days. But in order for that to work, you have to come and you have to come and kind of like take these drugs right now. Because there's like a two day, there's like a 48 hour prep period. You have to come and take them. So when I got them, and again, this is the beauty of having healthcare. But as I later found out, um, the healthcare was not as quite as, in- my healthcare coverage through work was not quite as inclusive as I would have liked. Uh, anyway, long story short. No, not long story short. That's a complete wrong thing to say. Anyway, look, I got the drugs and I started prepping, you know, 48 hours of a controlled diet and taking, uh, again, these rather dramatic drugs to clear out your system. We agreed I wouldn't start on the steroids until after I'd had a test, but I would start taking the antibiotics because they were a bit concerned about me. I had the colonoscopy. The difference this time round is that I opted for the sedation and wow, like, I don't want to advocate drugs, but if you're ever given the option, they're amazing. They're really good. Like, they wheeled me in, you know, I'm like, uh, invalid on the, on the, uh, invalid on the, on the, uh, on the bed, hospital bed. Sorry, can't speak. And, um, they're like, well, look, John, you're in a lot of pain. So we're going to give you a sedation because, you know, this is going to be unpleasant at the best of times and we don't want to, we don't want to aggravate it any further. And uh, I was like, so what's it like, this sedation? Because, you know, I, can't, I value my mind. I don't want to be groggy. And they're like, it's like having four pints. That was their word. He said, it's like being pleasantly drunk. And they inject it. And they said, we're going to give you quite a lot as well because you're in a lot of pain. And uh, yeah, it looked like a pint. They had like a massive bottle of clear liquid, which they injected into my arm. And the effect was almost instantaneous. Like, it was wonderful. It was really good. Like, it just kind of... I remember thinking, oh, there it is. And it's like a like a warmth spreading uh, through your arm, a pleasant warmth. And I, I, I wouldn't even say, it's not even like you felt high. It's not even like being, you know, you. it's not even like I was euphoric or like in a, in a different state of, you know, I hadn't like reached enlightenment or I wasn't seeing pretty things. I just, um, I just felt comfortable, like just so incredibly relaxed. It was wonderful. And, and the procedure just passed, you know, it was over in no time. I, I I barely remember it. Then they wheeled me out, got trolled by one of the nurses, and I said, like, you know, like, how long was I in there? Like, you know, it just went so quickly. And she was like, yes, well, the drugs can mess with your perception of time. You were in there three hours. And I was like, what? And she's like, no, 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 no. It's like half an hour. It's like, oh. And uh, I was clearly so drugged at this point. All I could do was, like, give her the thumbs up, and I was like, yeah, you got me. That was a good one. And, uh, yeah, I went home. Life continued. Uh, I started taking the steroids. Work let me uh, work from home for a bit. I wasn't feeling great. <laughs> even uh, even working from home, the act of sitting in uh, my office chair would just kind of like knack me out. I could do maybe like two hours work and then I'd, I would literally collapse on the floor and just roll around like a kind of fish out of water, moaning, making mewling infant noises. And, uh, yeah, and then I got a letter a couple of days later. Two letters, one addressed to me and one addressed to my GP. And a wonderful bit of kind of doctor speak because the letter to me said, 
hey, you know, you appear to uh, you appear to be exhibiting symptoms of IBD, so inflammatory bowel disease, uh, possibly Crohn's. You know, we're not sure. We'll have to do further tests. And uh, also, we can't find your appendix, which is uh, not the wording they used, but uh, which is a mystery for another day, shall we say? Just can't find my appendix. It isn't visible on the CT scan. And um, but yeah, let's get you started on these steroids, and you'll take some calcium to stop the steroids destroying your bones as well. And then the other letter, which was addressed to my GP, which I was CC'd to, basically said. Hey, uh, we'd love it if you could help us with this lad because he's got lad because uh, he's got uh, he's got Crohn's. <laughs> so um, I think they went to the effort of kind of sparing my feelings in my letter, saying like, uh, "Yeah, you know, you might have Crohn's, but not certain." And then the letter to the doctor was like, "Yeah, yeah, he's got Crohn's. He's got Crohn's. Uh, we need to deal with this." And that was like that was just it felt like a, a slap in the face. Uh, I, I I was reading this letter, uh, which they'd emailed me a copy, and then I was uh, and I was doing some work from home when it arrived, and you know not feeling great. Uh, it just hit like a like a steam train. I I was like a, I was shocked. Like I, like I don't think shocked even covers it because I kind of like been wrestling with this for the longest time, and uh, I had kind of resigned myself to the idea that they would never find out what was wrong with me. I, I, it had been such a long journey seeing so many different doctors, you know, getting to this point. And I, I, I just, I imagined it would just go on forever. Like I, I'd never get a proper diagnosis. It just seems so kind of typical in a way that I'd never get an answer. And, uh, and then there it was, it's like, yeah, you've got Crohn's. And, it was a massive amount of relief, actually, thinking there's a name for it. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy. You know, there's a name for what you're going through, and uh, and you could potentially get better. And it's interesting. Like I, I you know, I, I haven't done a massive amount of googling, which I think is healthy. No, oh, my coffee's all gone. That's a shame. Move that out of the way. Grab some water. Yeah, I've I've managed to resist doing uh, a lot of, you know, web diagnosis. But uh, I did read an interesting article saying that Crohn's is uh, an incredibly hard disease to uh, to diagnose, and a lot of people, on average, I think people will see ten different medical practitioners before they finally get a diagnosis. And yeah, it's certainly you know fitted with my with my experience. But yeah, but with this diagnosis, which I didn't really have time to process because I had to get straight on the steroids and pick up the calcium pills because got my bones crumbling. And um, yeah, I was signed off work for a, a couple of weeks to fully try and get my strength back up. And because, uh, you know, whatever had happened at the end of January with this big attack, which had kind of kicked everything off, like the effects were long lasting. I, I I was still feeling the effects. Now I'd done something to myself clearly, and uh, yeah, so I signed off work for a couple of weeks, and I started on these steroids and antibiotics. So uh, it looked like a kind of I think I posted a picture on Twitter of all the various pills I had to take, but it looked like a kind of celestial alignment. I had to 
one bright yellow pill of antibiotics. One a day. And then, no, was it? No, it was like three a day. I can't, I can't even remember. Yeah, it was like I had to take antibiotics for like every meal. But then I also had to take eight steroid pills every morning. Like a real, just handful of, of drugs. Um, and then also two calcium pills a day, like chewable. It tastes a bit like refreshers. They're kind of like uh, uh, powdery sweets. And uh, I met again with the new specialist and she said, well, look, uh, we get you started on a very, very high dose of uh, steroids. This is how they work. Uh, you, you get a very high dose, maximum dose for like a couple of weeks. So eight pills a day for a couple of weeks. And then every week after that, you drop it by one pill. Because you can't, you get a dependency. Your body loses the ability to regulate its own hormones. And we wean you off the steroids gradually. It's a long process, but we wean you off. And then eventually you go down to zero. So I, today, I am on four pills. I haven't taken them yet, but I have to, I've had a great big sack of drugs and I've, I've got to take four pills. I'm done with the antibiotics. That was only a week. I'm still on the calcium, you know, to protect my bones. And, um, and she said, well, look, basically the steroids are the nuclear option. Your body is a mess of inflammation right now. Like your, your entire abdomen is just, uh, it's just nothing but inflamed tissue. And the reason you're getting all this back and leg pain is because of something called the psoas muscle. So yeah, so here's the chain of events. Your large intestine is balked, for lack of a better word. It is hella inflamed because of your Crohn's disease. And that is aggravating something called the psoas muscle, which is a muscle which runs from the top of your leg, kind of up through your abdomen and then connects near your spine. It's an, it's an antagonistic muscle working in, op in opposition to your glutes, so you kind of your ass muscles, and it helps you move your leg. But because of the way it runs through your abdomen, it's very closely entangled with your uh, your intestine. So if your intestine's angry, the muscle becomes angry, hence the leg pain, hence the back pain. And then of course my, you know, my intestine was just incredibly sore, which would explain all my muscular pain. Oh, I just remember all my abdominal pain. Oh heck, I just even rem I just remembered like at one point you know, in the long sorry affair of getting to a diagnosis, they even thought I had a hernia at one point. I remember I had like an ultrasound to see if I had a hernia. I remember he looked at one side of my body, the right side, and said, yeah, that's a bit weird. Then he looked at the other side and he was like, yeah, but that's weird as well. And he said, if one was weird and the other wasn't, we'd think you had a hernia, but you're weird on both sides, so eh, it's fine. So yeah, very long, sorry, drawn out affair getting this diagnosis. But basically, and she said, we can't find your appendix. Which is a bit weird, but it's possible that it's just buried among all the inflammation. You know, it could just be, it's in there somewhere. We can't see it. We'll check again when you finish on the steroids. Uh, but that's where we currently stand. I am, I'm halfway through my steroids. I've finished my antibiotics. I am back at work now. I did, uh, I did two weeks. I had two weeks off work, recovering. Uh, my stamina is improving because my stamina took the worst blow. Like walking was knackering me out. I barely left the house. If I, like a, a kind of 10 minute walk into town would just absolutely exhaust me. 
for the day. I haven't been going to training. I mean, I do, um, I'm a black belt in um, Aikido, which sounds very impressive, but, you know, I still feel like a student and, because uh, I am still a student. And, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I haven't been training for a couple of months. I, I, I tried during a, a good day. I got as far as stepping into the dojo. I was wearing my gi and hakima, my, you know, my uniform. And I got it, I got in as, I'd been in the dojo for like a minute and I was like, this is a bad idea. This is not good. So I immediately left. So yeah, I've been very sedentary. Um, I, I did, uh, two weeks off work. I did a week working from home. I did, uh, and then I had a holiday booked off. I'd had a holiday booked for months and it just kind of fell at the right time where it just seemed good to aid in my recovery. So I had a week off there. And that kind of brings us up to the present day because I've just finished my first week back at work. The occupational health lady, uh, health nurse at work was very kind. She, you know, she understands my condition and she said, well, look, you know, we're here to support you. We don't, and I, I can't praise my workplace enough. They've been incredible. But they're like, well, look, you can do your job from home. You can do your job well from home. Like, you know, you don't have to be in. So they said, well, look, I do a mixture of both. Let's phase your return. So I'm doing like a, a day in, a day at home, a day in, a day at home. I did two days in the office this week. I'm going to do three next week. And um, yeah, it's, it's knackering. <laughs> it's still wore me out. But I'm doing better. I'm doing a hell of a lot better. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, my, I'm, I'm a lot healthier to look at. My, uh, I was very pale. I was, I was very thin. The, the specialist said I could probably stand to put on like a half a stone or so. And I've been trying. You know, I, I know I've, I've been trying because the steroids give you a hell of an appetite. Uh, and actually, yeah, I should probably talk about while like my symptoms, I guess the symptoms of Crohn's were improving. I, uh, I, um, yeah, I, I was still dealing with the negative effects of the drugs I was on because the steroids are really kind of like, they're a real kind of kicker. I, uh, they're getting better now as I reduce the dose, but on those first couple of weeks, I was manic. I had, I felt like I had so much energy, but it was a kind of, I don't know, like false energy. I felt kind of, I wasn't sleeping. I would wake up incredibly, incredibly early, which was a combination of the steroids and this kind of uh, like bubbling energy, kind of sick energy I'd feel, but also kind of like some of my, you know, the way my bowels were working, the consequence of the drugs. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I wanted to run a marathon, but then I didn't have the energy to kind of like, you know, walk out to leave the house. It was, it was weird. And, um, not sleeping certainly took its toll on me. I was, I was very, I felt like I was unraveling a little bit, but, um, it's getting better. It's really getting better. And, uh, I'm still an early riser. I've always been an early riser. Uh, and yeah, I mean, hence me being here watching, uh, the day get gradually brighter outside and watching uh, the runners go past the house on the raised bank. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of me in the present day. Uh, I am 
gradually getting better. I think uh, all the drugs I've been on have been a way of treating the really just kind of like the after effects of that bad attack, which I now I now have a word for. It's a flare up, as people with Crohn's refer to it. Like I, I had an epic flare up at the end of January, and I, I feel like everything from that point on has been kind of was well, been triage, you know. It's been it's been kind of like just treating the symptoms of that. Now I'm very lucky in many ways in that uh, Nick, old Nick Angel, my partner in crime, and I guess comics brothers, brother in arms, and fellow fellow big puncher, um, has suffers. And I don't think he'd mind me saying because I think he's quite public about this. Uh, he suffers from ulcerative colitis, which is basically the Siska degrees, uh, <laughs> Siska degrees, the three degrees, the Siska disease to Crohn's. If you have inflammatory bowel disease, you either have Crohn's or you have UC. And there's a lot of overlap between the two, but they can affect you in subtly different ways. But the good news is, well not for Nick, but the good news for me is that Nick has been through all this. So he knew exactly what I was going through and he could advise me as to how it's going to pan out. So it looks as though the steroids are used to treat the symptoms. The steroids bring down all the inflammation in your body. Then when you're back down to zero, when you're back down to functioning like a regular human being again, they then start you on medicine to treat your disease. Because the steroids are very destructive. They are, you don't want to be on steroids for a long time. They can have bad effects on you, you know, very bad effects on your body. So yeah, they hit you hard with a drug to get you back down to base level. Then they start treating the base problem. And you know, Nick, he 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 is on medication and he lives a normal life with it. And that was a great thing as well, because I I wanted to be completely open about this because I'll touch on it in a second, but like I've been hiding this for a long time. And then when I found out that this was the case, I figured, well look, complete honesty, let's just tell the world. So in the modern day equivalent of standing on a rooftop and shouting about it, I, you know, I tweeted and I Facebooked it. I just told everyone. I told the people who follow my book. I told my friends. I told anyone with a passing interest in my life that, look, I have this. This is a thing. Um, it turns out I have Crohn's. And the good news is this means I can get better. Because the most wonderful, wonderful thing, I think, is that everyone has kind of uh, everyone's come, you know, so many stories coming out of the woodwork. Like everyone knows someone, it would appear, who has Crohn's, a brother, a sister, an old roommate from university. And everyone can say, well, look, I, I know, I knew this person who had Crohn's and the best thing, this is the one story, like the, 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 the same message repeated over and over again, getting diagnosed was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because like me, they've been suffering for years with these kind of like, bizarre symptoms and at the moment they found out what it was they started taking medicine and they got better and apparently apparently he says oh, i'm choking on my own emotion here just get some water he said um apparently if uh you know if you're on the right medication if they get your medication right you could go years without a flare-up years i mean mine were happening every six weeks they were getting faster and faster i was i was, I was so terrified of one of these events happening and ruining my life, particularly if we were, as a, you know, as publishers, if as business, as creators, if we were trying to be at a show, 
you know, the disruption, it, it scared the hell out of me. Like, making comics is what I do, and then if I can't do that, like, what am I? You know, if I can't go out and sell my book, uh, you know, am I cut out for any of this? Um, it gave you real cause to kind of doubt yourself. I doubted my, you know, I didn't have the energy for doing what I loved, and that was terrifying. But the good news is I can get better. Like, I can I can take the right drugs, and I can, I can live a normal life. It'd be a better life than I, than I was living with the symptoms I was having. Um, now, Nick has said, you know, Nick's, you know, you know, with his first-hand experience, he's pointed out that, like, the drugs didn't always work for him. Yeah, they, they'd bring him down with the steroids. They'd get him started on a drug. Maybe that drug wasn't right for him. He'd have a kind of flare-up again. So then they'd have to get him on the steroids again. And then they'd bring him down, try a different drug. Oh, that didn't work. He gets bad again. They'd bring, get him on the steroids. They'd bring him down. But eventually they got him on a drug that works, and now he just takes that drug and he's fine, he doesn't and he doesn't have to take the steroids, which are of course very destructive. So yeah, I know I know this could be in my future. I know this could be a thing I need to deal with. Uh but it's okay, like ev- everything is is a positive. And I, I think like telling people about it, being honest, is is the best thing I could do. And yeah, I just I'm cho- I'm choosing to be I'm choosing to be very positive about this, but uh, I don't think it's still properly sunk in yet that this is, well, this is chronic. I mean, this is for life now. There are, there are things I'm going to have to be aware of and things I'm going to have to consider if I want to keep myself healthy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be at an increased risk of, of bowel cancer, you know, that's, that's a possibility. Like I'll I'll need to, you know, I'll need to be tested frequently in my life to make sure I'm healthy. Uh, in many other respects, I am incredibly healthy. I mean, this this is a bizarre thing. I was a, um, I was a platelet donor for years. Turned out I was a universal platelet donor. Like, oh, don't get, I mean, yeah, my, my intestinal system. Yeah. It's a mess, but my heart, my circulatory system, you could not ask (laughs) <laughs> you cannot ask for a healthier heart. I have super blood. Everybody loves my blood. It's, you know, they can't give enough. I have like a super, it sounds like I'm bragging now. I have a super low heart and pulse rate. Like, despite everything, despite all my moaning, I'm a very healthy person. Like, the one thing that was wrong with me is is, is my gut. And I'm hoping it can get better. So, like, a really good thing about this has just been being honest, like learning to be honest with the people I care about and um, trying not to hide it because I wasn't hiding it. Everyone knew something was wrong. Lucy knew something was wrong, but I kind of, it was a shameful thing. You know, you, you feel anything kind of, it's very British, but anything kind of stomach gut related, you know, toilet related, it's not nice. I mean, I'd like to actually just commend Danny Abrams for a moment because rewind a couple of years and rewind to, I think it was summer 2014 when uh, Lucy and I went to Canada. I lived in Canada for a year back in the uh, back in the day and I, I love it as a country. And of course, it always been such a big part of my life that the opportunity to go back and share it with Lucy and show her all these places and what it meant to me 
was incredible. But traveling has always been incredibly stressful for me because of my gut. And I will touch on this briefly before I round up my uh, my little self-indulgent ramble this morning. But I was uh, it was very stressful and I had good days and bad days. And, and I remember we were staying at a friend's house in Calgary and I was up super early, as I always am, which is, I am an early riser, but it was also a very, because of the way my bowels and my gut work, I, I, I find myself waking up earlier and earlier to try and hide it from people. You know, if I could, if I could sneak a bit of extra time in the bathroom before anyone woke up, then I could be better throughout the whole day. And I wasn't feeling great. It was a bad day. Like my, my stomach was, not my stomach, my bowels were very upset and at this point, I mean, this is a couple of years in the past, I didn't have a diagnosis at this point. I just thought I was a weird guy. I just thought this was a, a problem I had and I, it was all in my head and I wasn't normal. And um, I remember reading online, because I think Danny had shared it on Twitter, a Danny's amazing book, Worry Wart. And, I, and there's a good portion of it online. and Or maybe it's all online, I don't know. But I have to put a link in the description. But I... And this is about Danny's anxiety and it's incredibly brave and autobiographical comic book about her problems and 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 you know and much like me her her kind of bowel problems and and it's brave because we get embarrassed about these things i get incredibly embarrassed talking about it if i had a broken arm i'd I'd show it to the world i'd be quite proud of it but if i had you know if you've got a a dicky stomach as you know you might say I mean, you feel shame. You feel you want to hide it away. And it's it's very socially awkward. And I read this book and I was just so kind of blown away by her courage of kind of telling everyone. And uh, I remember, you know, dropping her a little message then and there and thanking her because it, and I've I've since picked up a book in person. It's tremendous. And it's got, it's garnered a lot of praise and deservedly so because it's brave, you know, it's braver than I was, uh, to be so honest about your kind of anxiety and your your kind of your fears and it really inspired me and that set me that actually gave me the kick to try and get treated it took a long time because the process is very slow but that's the genesis of it that's where i said look enough is enough i'm going to start seeing a doctor i'm going to try and get this sorted it took 2 years but you know if i hadn't started you know i could be still suffering it could be 2018 before I eventually got this resolved. So thank you, Danny. You did good. And uh, yeah, so I guess just to kind of like round off my little, you know, trip down painful memory lane, I, uh, I've i always had two kind of problems with my condition, which I now know is a disease and is, you know, there is a name for it. But on the one hand, were the problems I'd already spoken about, the kind of the infrequent but severe bouts of pain. You know, kind of thing where, like, do we call an ambulance, uh, take him to A&E, give him these amazing opiates, like, terrible pain. But they were, you know, they'd hit, then they'd go away. The other problem was the kind of day-to-day, uh, t- day-to-day weird uh, bowel habits, which weren't kind of, like, which weren't painful. You know, it wasn't like I was in agony. It wasn't like I had to go to hospital, but it was just the discomfort and kind of the disruption 
because like the way you know it affected my life like I I, I kind of like it's all come to a head now and it's forced me to kind of like address some of the things I was doing I read a, I, I remember writing at university because I studied biology I, I had to write an article about the evolutionary advantage of self uh, self-deception or self-denial or just denial but like it's very interesting like you know we we lie to ourselves a lot and we have an amazing ability to not realize we're lying or just to ignore things to not acknowledge what we're doing and without kind of realizing it kind of crept up you know it it just crept up on me i'd been adopting some very 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 weird and disruptive coping mechanisms to try and deal with my bowels because the honest truth is and it's, it's very hard for me to to admit even now and saying it is embarrassing but like i have i have problems and i know what this is now i know it's my crohn's but i have it's very it's always been very difficult for me to go to the toilet <laughs> yeah a bit weird to say a bit kind of embarrassing but trying to be honest here trying to address it and own it but yeah i just i, I have real trouble going to the toilet and I'm quite frequently in discomfort, uh, a lot of heat, a lot of kind of uh, bubbling, a lot of kind of like cramping. There is pain involved, but not debilitating pain. But my gut is generally a bit of a mess. And it became, it was becoming like the defining feature of my life. Like I would get up early to try and sneak to the toilet so that I could, you know, take as long as I needed and, and then and then face the day fine I, I I went to elaborate lengths to try and hide it to, so people wouldn't realize I was having these problems um you know sometimes I'd, I'd get very bad reactions after eating certain things I you know and and more more often than not I just I, I had this feeling that I could I, I was never able to fully go to the toilet I was never able to kind of gain release as you might say again very bar- embarrassing you can hear it in my voice but it was defining my life. It was becoming a problem. It was becoming a real problem. And I, uh, I'm getting, and traveling was, was hard. I mean, going to conventions, you know, new, new place, new surroundings, kind of, uh, where's the bathroom? Can I, when will I be able to go to the bathroom? Will I be able to go to the bathroom? Am I going to be in pain? I'd feel trapped. I don't like social, social situations would, I just want to, hide, I want to run from the world, like I just want to be utterly alone so I could just be, you know, I could just go to the toilet and be as, you know, just feel shame and just kind of wallow in my in my uh, self-disgust and, and then hopefully get better and move on with the day but it was just, it was a cycle it was like every day, you know, you'd have to go through this and it was, uh, it was crushing me like, the amount of energy I was uh, investing in it just to keep functioning at a base level, just to you know, try and mimic all the seemingly normal people around me was, was really hard it was it was kind of it was wearing me out I, I'd, I'd I'd get I'd get tired I'd get grumpy you know I start to get a bit of a, a martyr complex I, I start to feel like you know well I'm suffering why isn't everyone else you know I got on my high horse it was, it was horrible it was just like such a mess of kind of like negative emotions and it didn't feel like that's who I was you know I kind of felt like I was becoming someone I didn't I didn't really like, and it was getting worse. You know, the I'd, I'd have a mechanism to cope, but then, then that wouldn't work. You know, if you get up half an hour earlier, are you feeling better? But then, what if I got up half an half an hour earlier than that? You know. So yeah, I am an early riser, and I think 
part of that's because I like to get up and I like to do things. But another part of it is it's a bit of a hang-up of some slightly slightly negative thought patterns I've picked up. And and of course now I'm now I'm on the drugs and I'm actually treating some of the inflammation. Like, yeah, I, I am getting better. Like I, I can I can go to the toilet with a great a lot more ease now. And I can feel better. And I, I really can't stress this enough. I'm having some very, very, very good days. I'm also having some bad days. And uh, I am trying to treat now, I'm trying to treat the physical problems with the medic- medication. I'm also trying to treat some of the mental problems with the way I cope with this. And I, I'm, I've started having some therapy. I've started keeping a, a food diary to uh, keep track of everything I eat. But also, you know, so you get every day, you've got a little notebook I carry around. So if you ever see me scribbling, that's what I'm doing. But I have like two columns, a page for each day and two columns. You've got your food, you've got your mood. So I write down everything I eat on the left and on the right. I write down how I'm feeling, but also kind of like how my, you know, have I been able to go to the toilet? You know, have I, have I, you know, how healthy are my bowels? That kind of thing. Sorry, guys. Sorry if you're eating. But I also draw like a little smiley face I'll draw like a little face and he's either smiling, he's neutral, or he's unhappy. And that's what I do every morning when I wake up. And that's kind of like, because my mood at the point of waking can kind of dictate my health, both mental and physical throughout the day. But it's also determined by what I ate the previous day. Like yesterday was a really good day. I was working from home. I felt relaxed, very tired, admittedly. And I've I've busted my neck somehow. I've kind of must have slept funny on it. That phrase again. Uh, but I busted my neck. I was very tired, but I was doing okay. It was a good day. So that was a smiley face. The previous day, it was a really bad day. I ate some pizza the night before, and I wonder if that may have had an effect on me. Like I, I have eaten pizza since, and it's not been an issue, but. I don't know, with a food diary, I'm trying to identify any foods which might be triggering bad days because my, you know, if my gut's bad, that affects my health, which affects my mental well-being, which affects my gut. It's like, it's all tied in together. And I think if I can just have as um, as healthy a gut as possible, it's going to lead to a healthier mindset and I'm going to be a healthier, happier person. It's different for every person, apparently. There is no agreed diet which can help someone with Crohn's. But everyone's going to react differently to different things, and I need to work out what's a trigger for me. I uh, have essentially cut out all dairy products. Not fastidiously, not religiously. I just kind of found I didn't really have the same desire to eat them that I did before. Uh, I Same with bread, like uh, wheat stuff. I just kind of, I love sandwiches, but maybe if, if I have to cut out sandwiches, that's a thing. Uh, I've developed a real craving for scones. That's kind of like, it's insane actually. Like I've always loved scones, but maybe it's the steroids. Maybe it's kind of like just me returning to a a better, healthier level of (laughs) kind of nutritional input. But like I, I have the biggest reserve of scones right now. You can imagine I'm looking at them. They're sitting over there in the bread bin taunting me. I just want to stuff my face with with kind of fatty, cakey things. It just, oh man, it's so good. So that's my breakfast at the moment. It's kind of like, my breakfast has gone from being like a great big bowl of cereal, which in hindsight would actually aggravate my stomach a bit. 
dairy is a little bit hard on your gut anyway. Uh, and I have a sensitive gut, so clearly, you know, if I have to sacrifice dairy, that's the way it has to be. But have a moment. It's coffee and a couple of scones. Dry. Because if you know me well, you know I love the plainest of the plain foods. Um, it's almost a joke. Like, you want me to be happy, get me a get me a plain scone, no butter, no jam. You want me to be even happier, throw in a couple of plain, dry McVitie's digestives. Like, oh my God, I love them so much. A bowl of dry shredded wheat, no milk. Very happy. I will, I will just munch on shredded wheat like there's no, no tomorrow. I'm weird like that. So yeah, craving cakey things. In hindsight, like you think back when I lived in Can- when I was in Canada with Lucy that summer, we uh, we'd frequently our breakfast would be my breakfast would be a coffee and a muffin, and weirdly it made me feel better. Like I should have seen the signs back then, but clearly like a kind of something cakey and like lots of fat and uh, sugar in the morning is better than kind of like milky stuff or, or bread, which would kind of like upset my stomach. So. Yeah, I'm making I'm making some changes, and I'm eating like a salad for lunch now rather than a sandwich, and I am feeling better. I really am. So yeah, I think uh, that is that is everything. I, I I aspired to be quite honest this morning. I I wanted to try and have a, a real talk, you know, hard talk about what I've been going through, and it's been hard. It has. I think uh, you could probably tell, by the way, my voice has gone from being a, a more thoughtful kind of uh, grumble from the start of the podcast to getting higher and higher as my emotion kind of rose. It's, it's tough. You know, I, I'm not good at putting myself out there. And despite weirdly loving the sound of my voice, but uh, one thing which... Uh, because I am getting some therapy now. I'm not ashamed to say it. One thing that the therapist pointed out is that I'm very good at not talking like about me in a weird way or talking about real things. Like I love, give me characters to talk through, give me a script and I'll, there'll be a mouthpiece. You know, like everyone after I think I don't have an author insert character. I'm not cool enough to be Jack, but every character speaks a little bit of truth about me. They all kind of like, they reveal like a little bit of my personality. But um, if you ask me to write, I don't know, a blog post, I'm terrible at blogging because I find it very hard to give insight on things. Like I find, um, like Kieran Gillen, like he's, he's, he's incredibly good at being like a, a kind of a mouthpiece for a generation. You know, he kind of, he does these amazing soapbox pieces. He talks about the state of the industry. He talks about, he engages with his readers. He'll, he'll write an article about a song he loves. I find that really hard. I can't do that. It kind of, it, it kind of goes against everything in my nature. Like I, I want to fight that. I want to be better at having a voice, but I'm not. So I kind of hide behind these characters, which, you know, sounds very new age, but I think it's kind of true. So hence this, hence kind of morning coffee, hence me just kind of having conversations. In this instance, I'm having a conversation with you, and a bit of a one-sided one, but I hope it's given some kind of insight into what I've been going through, and I hope it, I don't know, I hope it uh, might explain some of my weirdness, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll help me get better because I'll learn to be a bit more open about this kind of stuff and I'll learn to 
communicate better. But um, yeah, it won't always be just me. I want to talk to people. I want to talk about things I love. I want to talk about things I care about. And I want to talk about books I'm reading and why certain things are magical and we, you know, we should love them or they should get more, more appreciation. But yeah, I want to talk to people as well. Anything and everything. I want to talk to people I admire. I want to talk to people who can teach me things. I want to, I want to hear about people's experiences and it's not going to be all about comics, but it will just be about conversations. And yeah, and also just to sign off, it will also be about coffee. The unifying theme is that I will be drinking coffee. And if I have company, they'll be drinking coffee as well. Or a hot drink. We have many teas. But two people sitting down with a hot drink. Or one self-indulgent, rambling, egotistical writer sitting down with a hot drink and talking. It's got to be a good thing. But just to sign off, I would like to share with you my particular winning recipe. It's not a recipe, but how to make coffee. A proper cup of coffee, the John Locke way. And maybe you're used to, I don't know, not to be a snob, but maybe you're used to a kind of very sugary, milky, modern day kind of coffee concoction. I would recommend trying the black stuff, going, go proper. So what you'll need, at least, you know, even if you're only doing it once in your life, but what you'll need is uh, some ground coffee, obviously, which you can get from anywhere these days, any supermarket. Get a brand you like. I tend to lean towards a slightly darker, stronger roast. Uh, You want to boil the kettle. Fresh water, always fresh. And get it boiling. Now, from the moment it boils, and when the kettle stops boiling, you need to start a three-minute timer. Because you should never put boiling water directly onto coffee. You'll scold, you know, the grounds, and, you know, you'll ruin the flavour. So, you arguably want the water to be about 74 degrees. We're not going to, I'm not going to make you get out your thermometer, but a good rule of thumb is let the kettle cool for three minutes before pouring onto the coffee. Now, if you've got your cafetiere, it's probably going to say two cups or four cups on the side. You know, they have that kind of scale. Bear in mind, I don't know how small Italian people are, but that is not, (laughs) that is not enough to fill a mug. Like if it's a two person, if it's a two cup cafetiere, you're going to get one mug out of it. If it's four, you're going to get two. Use that as a rule of thumb. So I like my coffee a little stronger. So I generally, if I'm going for a two-cup cafetiere, I will put in two scoops of coffee, two flat scoops of coffee. Now, I have a little coffee scoop. It's going to vary, but let's, you know, let's use tablespoons. Try and go for two level tablespoons uh, per mug. So smaller cafetiere, put in two. Bigger cafetiere, I push it up a bit, but not too much. I go for like three and a half. It's very precise, but you could go for four if you really want some kind of rocket fuel. But you want at least, at least one per person. I add a little extra, but no, what am I talking about? I'm being an idiot. You need it. Oh God, guys, I'm muddling this. Okay, look, if you're making a mug, if you want one mug of coffee, you need two scoops of grinds. If you're going for two cups, go for three or four. Just anyway, okay, this is how I do it. Don't judge me. It's too early. Uh, then when the three minutes have passed and the c- boiling water is cooled, pour then onto the cafetiere. Then only when the water is cooled after three minutes, then you want to leave it for 10. So put the, ca- put the lid on the cafetiere, leave it to, to filter for 10, leave, leave, leave it to brew for 10. Only when the, that is in, only when those 10 minutes have, uh, have passed, plunge your cafetiere 
and pour your coffee. I drink it black. And if you really want to get some good flavor, it'll be piping hot at this point. It'll be black. And when you always, always slurp it, if you really want to, you know, annoy your fellow cafe customers or anyone sharing breakfast with you, slurp the coffee, get, get a good bit of air in there because that will help enhance the flavor and really let it kind of breathe. I tend to, um, if I'm making a larger cafetiere, I keep a thermos nearby. So I'll pour one cup into the mug and I'll pour the remainder into the thermos so I can have a second hot cup to hand. And I'm not saying gulp it down, but try and drink it while it's still hot. You don't want cold coffee. But that's how I enjoy it. And I I love it. Like, it is... It's one of, you know, sad as it is, I'm a man of simple pleasures, but it's one of it's one of my highlights of the day, just having a nice cup of coffee in the morning. If I'm at work I and I need my caffeine, I kind of like, I will scoop to using the instant machine. I don't want to be a snob, I don't, but there comes a point where are you enjoying it for the flavour or are you enjoying it because it's a caffeine injection vector? And yeah, I, I just, you know, I will drink inferior coffee if I need it, but sometimes you just can't beat. And I look forward to greatly my morning cafetiere. It's just incredible. I did used to work at Starbucks back in the day when I lived in Canada and incredibly it did instill in me a love of coffee because I hated, I, I, I just didn't drink coffee before and I never cared for it. And as part of the training for Starbucks, you had to go through the coffee passport. And they've got like 64 or so different brands of coffee and I had to try every one in a cafetiere to taste them and, and develop taste notes, which was kind of ironic because no one ever asked for a different blend and you'd only ever have two blends on. And, you know, Starbucks is kind of like one of the last places that does filter coffee. Now it's all just kind of like espresso and uh, Americanos. But yeah, that's me being a snob. But yeah, if you want to join in and you want to try a coffee at home, give it a shot. Otherwise, any hot drink you can bring to the table, that's great. So yeah, first episode, it's got a bit raw, it's got a bit personal. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I hope it hasn't been too in-depth about the inner workings of my body. But I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Morning Coffee where we'll be talking about anything and everything that could be interesting. Maybe we'll be talking to someone nice. I'm going to leave you in suspense right now and you'll have to just tune in next time to see what happens. Uh, But for the meantime, this is John Locke signing out. So until next time, guys, have a good day. This podcast, and others like it, is made possible thanks to our wonderful backers on Patreon. To support Big Punch Studios as we make comics like Afterlife Thinking Semistring, games like Sandwich Masters, and podcasts like the one you've just been listening to, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash bigpunchstudios. For just $5 a month, not only will you help make everything we do a reality, but we'll also send you four copies of Big Punch Magazine a year. That's over 180 full-colour pages of comic action, featuring Cuckoo's, Orb, 99 Swords and Catamarang, delivered straight to your door. This has been a Big Punch Studios production. For all things Big Punch, be sure to head on over to www.bigpunchstudios.com.